You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. We are in the month of September looking at our vision here at our church. Who are we and what we're doing? It's a great opportunity if you're new to Vintage to kind of hear a bit about who we are. And a bit about who we are stems out if I'm really honest, my disillusionment about who we are really stems out a lot of my disappointment with church. Has anybody ever been disappointed with church? I remember when I was 25, I'd had enough. And I decided, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with church. Jesus wasn't so bad. I'd been raised in the church and I'd discovered and had encounters with Jesus. But I'd been really turned off by the church. I personally had found the church quite controlling, quite hypocritical, quite legalistic. And some things happened in my life around 25, of which I was significantly to blame. But part of processing that was also processing my disillusionment with church. And so I left the church. I was a lawyer in London at the time, and so I thought, you know what? The good life is found outside of church. I'm earning way more money that is good for me, and I'm going to enjoy life. And so I left the church and lived the life of London. And I was reminded again, though, in the last few years, that disillusionment with church is not just what happened to me in the mid-90s. It actually happened again during the last few years with COVID. How many of you in the last few years during COVID have been disappointed with the church? We've had CPR, what we say, COVID, politics, and racial tension, all like through tsunamis, overwhelming the church. And frankly, the church has not been at its best. It's been very disillusioning to see people and the Christian church argue so vehemently amongst each other, to dismiss each other, to hurt one another, to ignore one another. Friends and families broken in disunity over the various issues. And the issues are real, and yet how we disagreed was so disillusioning. How we spoke to each other was so disheartening. Now, I've got to say, not only am I looking at the church at times going, that's nothing like Jesus with the disillusionment, but if I'm honest, and maybe you're honest as well, every time I raise my hand to say I'm disillusioned with the church, I have to also say when I look in the mirror, I'm disillusioned with myself. I'm not the person I want to be. I haven't seen God change me in the ways that I would have liked. I'm still struggling with the habits and maybe some practices I know are not good for me. I, all, I get disillusioned with, Jesus, do you really bring the change that we desire? The promises that you give out, the promises that the church say and these pastors deliver every week, I'm still, though, struggling with the anxiety that has now become an unwelcome friend. I'm now still struggling with the addictions that I've tried over and over again to kick, but still I'm still struggling in my marriage. I'm still struggling in these areas. And frankly, I get to the place, and I have got to the place at times where I go, does, that, does this actually work? Is change possible? 
And this disillusionment for many drives them away from faith. This disappointment so often leads us to abandon our faith. And yet for me and for us here together, it drives us further into Jesus. Where are we getting it wrong? How do we become individuals and a church that truly reflects you? How do we become a church that reflects the life of Jesus, the power of Jesus? And we can start to overcome the things that we so desperately want to change. This is at the heart of who we are at Vintage. We're not a church who simply goes, hey, here's how you can discover salvation and get a ticket to heaven. At the heart of who we are is a church that genuinely hungers and thirsts and yearns to be people that resemble Jesus Christ. It's at the heart of our faith because it's at the heart of the teachings of Jesus where he says in Matthew 28, he said this very famous, very famous teaching. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Now, I grew up in a context where that really wasn't the message of the church. The message was repent that you may be saved and go to heaven. And the rest of your life is kind of, well, good luck, but we'll all see each other in heaven. Or maybe just come on Sundays, but live the normal life that you lead. And in fact, Jesus, if anything, is to help you live the life that you've always wanted, fulfill your dreams. In fact, it's kind of like Jesus following you. But the message of Jesus was something different. He said, go and make disciples. God has an agenda for your life. That if you come into salvation in Jesus Christ, he's not, he's not content with leaving you where you're at. He wants to bring you into the life he has for you. And it's called discipleship. See, in the first century, a discipleship, the Hebrew term for discipleship was Talmudin. Talmudin, it's on the screen here, Talmudin. And Talmudin was someone who not just believed in Jesus, but someone who modeled their life after this teacher in order to become like him. A student, a better word for Talmudin in English, because disciple doesn't, we struggle with that, is, is an apprentice. That Jesus would say to people, come follow me, apprentice under me, that you might live the life that I live, that you might learn from me, and therefore, in so doing, become like me. That he went to his disciples who were like you and me, broken, that they were arguing amongst each other. They were very different people, very disunited. And he said, come follow me and I will transform you into a loving, faithful, joyful, peaceful, empowered community of people to do the things that I have done. And the means of that transformation was not simply information, but apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. To be a disciple of Jesus was not simply, I believe in you, I accept your message, and therefore I'll see you in heaven. It was 
to come under his teaching, to come under his way of life, that we might be three things, that we might learn to be with Jesus, that we might learn to be like him, and that we might learn to do the things that he did. This was the the goal, the telos, the end, the point of Jesus saying, come follow me. It wasn't simply to save you. That was the beginning of the story. That you enter by grace, but you enter by grace that I may bring you into the fullness of life that I created you to have, which is to be with him, to abide in relationship with the God of all creation, which is to be like him, to actually find your fears and your worries and your habits and your all the brokenness that you have inside, to have that transformed into someone like Jesus who was peaceful, was joyful, was content, was self-disciplined, all those things that we go, oh my word, I wish I was like that. And then thirdly, to do the things that he did. To be empowered by the same Holy Spirit that we can actually pray for people and see miracles, that we can actually be justice in the streets of LA, that we can actually bring real change to our city in the name of Jesus. This was the goal of becoming a disciple. Real change. Sadly, this has been absent in our preaching about what the gospel really is. I grew up with two types of gospels. The gospel of you are so broken, God needs to rescue you that you can spend eternity with Him. So say this prayer to receive that salvation and you're in. And that's true, but it was incomplete. It gave me no vision for life as a Christian. The other, prayer, the other gospel was, you are a child of God. You're so beloved that if you become a Christian, if you follow him, he just wants to lavish you with all the blessings of what it means to be royalty, a king's kid. I was like, well, that's true, but it kind of means that Jesus is there to fulfill my own dreams. Like, it's a prosperity blessing in the sense of my life is just simply to be blessed in all the things that I want to do. And somewhere in the middle of that, those two Gospels left out the core message of Jesus, which is to come follow me, come enter into my life by grace, but to become like me in not only your inner life, but also your outer life. Dallas Willard says this, he says, if your preaching of the gospel does not naturally lead people to apprentice under Jesus as the logical next step, then you are not preaching the gospel of Jesus. So much of our badly behaving Christians, including me, and the church, is because we have not preached the gospel of Jesus in its fullest. Jesus relentlessly pursues your change. He loves you the way you are as you come to him, but he loves you way too much to allow you to stay where you are. He is relentlessly pursuing your healing. He is relentlessly pursuing your transformation. This is not a safe space to remain the way you've always been. 
Because Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, comes in and says, I'm going to convict you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to kick you up the rear every now and again because I do not want you to stay the way you are. And yet so many of us approach our faith that Jesus is happy exactly the way we are. It's like going to a Pilates class and you go in like me, 400 pounds overweight, and you sit down at the back and you just watch everyone and go, man, I love gathering together. <laughs> you know, this is, I love the community of Pilates, but I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do anything. The instructor is going to come up to me and go, dude, I'm not happy that you're sitting down. I, there's a better life for you. And I'm going to pursue that change in your life. How much more so, Jesus, who loves you, sees you approaching with your brokenness, with your hurts, with your habits, with your powerlessness, with a marriage that's falling to pieces, with parenting that you're all over the place. I'm talking about, you know, me at times. He goes, I want to bring you into the life that I have for you. We all long for this change. I'll tell you why, is because we're always in LA trying to find something to help us change. Whether it be a new therapist, a new life coach, a new shake, anything <laughs> to help us change. The great news is Jesus longs for you to change just as much as you do. And the great news is Jesus is the answer for your change. The challenge has been how? Because like you maybe, I have been in church for so many years and I got disillusioned with the lack of change. And at Vintage, when you're coming to this church going, hey, is this the community for me? Not only do we hold out the promise of Jesus for each and every one of us that change is possible, that you don't have to live this way anymore, that by grace you enter into his family and then the journey is transformation. But we at Vintage not only say that, but we go, and we think we know how through the teachings of Jesus to get there. I grew up, once again, with an incomplete faith about not only what is the gospel, but also how to change, how to enter into the life that God has for us. I characterize it in these two ways. I grew up in a tradition that said change is really through two things, doctrine or download. Let me explain. Doctrine, which is I think what most people grew up in church with, which is this, the more theology and Bible memorization and teaching you have, the more you're just naturally going to change. So we sat in Bible studies, that we memorized scripture, that we actually sat under incredible teachers and we thought by listening and actually having the Bible in our minds would naturally then result in life transformation. The challenge is Jesus said that won't work. And it didn't. How many of you know people who know the Bible way better than you, but behave nothing like Jesus? There's something missing. 
Now, the other side of it was more my church growing up because we then discovered something called the Holy Spirit, which we love, the third person of the Trinity, the forgotten member of God. And we thought, oh my word, this is the missing link. It is actually about the Holy Spirit transforming you, not doctrine. And actually what's going to happen is we just have to come into the presence of God and kind of just wait for a download of transformation. That actually... God will instantaneously, through an infilling of the Holy Spirit, transform you. Then if you were angry, well, come, let me pray for you that that anger may disappear. Then if you were worried, well, guess what? I'm going to pray for you, and then a download, the Holy Spirit's going to take that away. Well, I have seen God do amazing miracles through the Holy Spirit. I've rarely seen that's the way that God changes our character. That downloads, absolutely. I've been healed miraculously. Many of my friends have been healed miraculously. And I've actually had, I would say, encounters of God by His Holy Spirit that have left me speechless for hours on the floor, lost in worship. The challenge was, Jesus says, that's not how you change that you can actually have all the encounters that every swan-diving charismatic like me can have, but you get up and you go home and you're just as angry, just as worried, just as petty and just as selfish as you were before you fell on the floor. There was something missing. Not that the Holy Spirit is absolutely to be forgotten again, Not that doctrine is not important. But Jesus says that doctrine and the Holy Spirit are part of the transformation process, but they're not the only two ingredients. What is the third ingredient? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus tells us in Matthew 27. If you remember that Jesus spoke this amazing teaching commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, where he paints a vision of the good life. He paints a vision of this is the life I have for you, that this is the life that when you're transformed, you live into. And they're all going, "This this sounds amazing, but how do we move from there to here? And at the end, he doesn't say, well, here's what you do. Memorize this sermon. Nor does he say, well, come forward for prayer ministry, and then we will zap that into being. In fact, he says this. It's on the screen. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and, let's read this together, puts them into practice. Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone hears these words of mine and, let's say this, does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, back to reading comprehension. What did Jesus say was the key difference? Was it Bible memorization? Was it charismatic download? What was it? Practice. Putting these things 
into practice. Putting these things into practice. Now, it makes sense, right? Let's go back to how overweight I am, right? So, I'm super overweight. My doctor has said, Gay, you need to lose at least 300 pounds. And how am I going to do that? Well, I need to learn about health, right? So I have. I've learned about what is healthy diet, what foods do well, and all these times, what is bad for me, the, the biology and the science of healthy living and weight. I got it, right? I learned it. I've underlined paragraphs in these Weight Watchers books. Right? I, I've learned it. But that's not enough. As I underline, eating sidecar donuts. Right? Neither is it enough to go to the doctor, the expert, and go, I've just come for, I'm going to just lift up my hands right now. Doctor, <laughs> doctor, pray for me. I just want it done. I trust you. You, you can change me. You want change for me. Yes, I'm just going to, can you pray for me? Now, the health equivalent is just, you know what, liposuction. Just do it now. I don't want to do anything. I just want it instantaneously. I want microwaved weight loss. And many of us come to Jesus and go, I want microwaved transformation by a download. Jesus never promised that. What Jesus promised was, when you have the vision of the life I have for you, doctrine, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the expert, to actually then infuse practices or exercises that will actually change you. That will actually start the long, slow transformation on the inside, just like physical fitness and weight loss. It's organic. That you need to exercise, you put into practice what you've learned in the books. That you, as you exercise, you start to see the pounds drop off and your muscles get bigger and all the rest of it. Now, Jesus says it's the same thing spiritually as it is biologically. He gives us through his doctrine, this is life. This is God. This is the future that you have. He gives you the Holy Spirit. But he says the Holy Spirit and doctrine will only do their work when you actually do spiritual exercises. When you actually live into the life of Jesus. We so often read the Gospels of Jesus by looking at, hey, what great teaching. But have you ever read the Gospels as also Jesus saying, hey, this is great living. This is how you live in such a way that your life is shaped by opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit to transform you. These are the rhythms, the practices, the lifestyle that you can adopt that actually makes space for the Holy Spirit in your life to transform you. See, the great truth, which is really important, John Mark Comer said this. Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for apprentices to the kingdom of God. And he said, to be an apprentice, you change. And I think this is, if you can remember one thing from this sermon, just one thing, John Mark Comer also said this. He said, I think we have it on the screen. 
If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me read that again. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, oh yes, power, hearing God's voice, transforming me from from within. I want to experience all that Jesus has for me. Well, that's going to come as you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. See, Jesus based his life, if you read the Gospels, he based the rhythm of his life around spiritual practices that would connect him with God the Father, that would allow him to be filled again with the Holy Spirit, that would take him into quiet places to reflect on, man, I'm tired, Lord, refresh me. That would lead him into sharing meals with others and being encouraged and encouraging others. Imagine the stresses and strains on Jesus' life, far busier than any one of us could have been. And yet he knew to live into the fullness of who he is, to be transformed. He's modeling to us that we need to live a lifestyle that actually allows the Holy Spirit to transform us from within. The challenge is, just like in biology, it's the same thing with spirituality. I hate to exercise. I hate to exercise. Right? I want things instant. I want to learn about something rather than actually do it. I want to tweet something rather than live it out. I want someone else to do it for me. And Jesus says at the end of the day, if you want your house to be transformed, if you want your house to be on a foundation rather than sand, you've got to practice. You've got to adopt and enter into a rhythm of life that is shaped around allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you. Someone once put it this way. It's the difference between speedboat Christianity versus sailboat Christianity. See, speedboat is, I'm on this side of the bank and transformation's over there, so I'm in the boat and the Holy Spirit is the, speed, is the engine and just, and we'll get there. Problem is, you never get there. Because transformation is more like a sailboat. It is the wind of the Holy Spirit that gets you from A to B. You can't white knuckle it. And have you ever realized willpower is not enough? You need the wind of the Spirit to change you, to take you. But there is still something for you to do. And that is, you've got to raise the sail partner with the wind of the Spirit to transform you. And your sail, how you partner, that Jesus says, is to practice the spiritual exercises that are not mean, not, not an ending of themselves. They're simply a means to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and take you and empower you. But what are these practices? What are these rhythms of life that Jesus did? Well, we see them in the life of Jesus. Community, celebration, silence, solitude, spending time with God the Father, Sabbath keeping, doing justice, serving, celebration, and on and on and on. 
where so many of these practices put us in the place where the wind of the Spirit can catch us in our inner life, and we start to see change. This is what the early Christians would call a rule of life. Have you ever heard that phrase? A rule of life. Where they would go, we're going to live intentionally, not unintentionally. We're going to live, live intentionally to catch the wind of the Spirit. That therefore, we're going to get up at this time and we're going to pray. We're going to serve the community in this way. And they would have daily, weekly, monthly, and annually practices that they would go, my life is going to be shaped by these practices of Jesus so that I become like Jesus. Now, the reality is in my life, if I don't intentionally shape my life that way, then unintentionally, I'm shaping it another way. And shaping it another way, which will have an equal and opposite reaction to transforming into Jesus. So I don't know about you, but Los Angeles has a way of life for you to follow that is forming you into something. I look at what it means to be a dad in LA. Three kids, three dogs, and an incredible wife. Busy. And I look at my life and go, this is what, if I'm not careful, the practice of my life can become. I wake up regretting having woken up. The alarm goes off, and I know straight away, oh my word, I've got to walk the dogs. I stumble out of bed. I'm not energized. I'm not refreshed. I quickly throw on my workout stuff and get the dogs and drag them around Marina del Rey for about an hour. My only thought is, how soon can I walk to Cow's End to get a coffee? To try and perk me up and wake me up. I'm then thinking, oh my word, I look at my calendar and think of all the stuff I've got to do today. I then think, I'm going to call someone now to make, make use of the time. I then get back to the house and think, oh my word, I've got, I'm late for Sam, take him to school. Rush Sam to school. Overflow hatred to every other driver on the street of Los Angeles. I then get to school and the carpool lanes takes forever with people who seemingly have nothing else to do with their life except chat to people in the carpool lane. I've got to get to work. So I honk my horn and get through. I get to work and I run in late and I'm stressed because I'm already behind the eight ball. I crunch through work. I forget about lunch because life's too busy for lunch. I crunch through it and realize I promised to be home by six o'clock for dinner with the family. And so I, I don't have time for lunch. I crunch it through, get in the car. I'm kind of late already to get in the car. I'm driving home. I got my cut through, avoid Lincoln at all costs, get through Lincoln. <laughs> get through Lincoln, get home. I'm stressed. I run straight from the car because it's now 10 past six. And I said I'd be home at six for dinner. And then I run inside the house and I'm carrying the angst and I'm overflowing stress. Something happens with the kids and I snap. I sit down at the table and we eat for family time. But all they get is angst-ridden, anxiety-ridden dad. I think, oh, we've got to pray. Oh, my word. I haven't really connected with God all day today. Uh, God, thanks for the food. Amen. All right, let's do this because that's all I can overflow. And then it's like, I've got to take the dogs again for a walk. God, then there's chores to do when I get home. And I don't know about you. Then I go, oh, my word. I just need a glass of wine to chill out. And is there anything good on Netflix? Because I did Netflix last year. Is there anything new? And then I watch Netflix and I stumble into bed too late and go, time to press repeat tomorrow. Is that only me? 
There's an old business saying that said this. Your system of life is perfectly designed to give the results that you're currently getting. No wonder, with that way of life, I get the end product of tired, exhausted, angry, still got the habits and hurts of the past. And the invitation of discipleship is Jesus saying, I'm inviting you to a different way of life. A life modeled after me that will bring you real change. That will bring you into the life that you long for, but somehow is almost out of reach. You can't do it yourself. You can't white knuckle it. So my Holy Spirit will come and change you, but I will meet you and change you in the practices of how I live. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Is your life right now perfectly adjusted for the results that you're getting? And do you hear the invitation of Jesus to come, follow me, and I will give you rest? Come, follow me, and I will take those burdens off you. Come, follow me, and experience the life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why vintage exists. It's because we believe that Jesus holds out the offer of transformation, and he shows us how. As we move into this fall... I want to encourage you to move away from just doctrine or download and actually realize, Jesus, I need to reorient my life to do the things that you did to become the person that you have for me to be. I'm going to give you some action steps before we come to worship. The first is this. One of my great friends is the expert on this. And his name is John Mark Homer. Ever heard of John Mark Homer? I know, he always gets a cheer. It's amazing. I hate you, John Mark Homer. No. I need to change, obviously. I need more practices to transform my heart of jealousy. But he wrote, but I think actually a great place to start, and I think it's essential reading for all of us, the disciples of Jesus, in a 21st century digital world where we go, how on earth do we do the things that Jesus did? His book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is essential. How many of you have read that book? Great. So a lot more for us to do. And I probably read that every year. But within that book, you have an overview of this. These are the ways of living to discover the life of Jesus. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When I first, John Mark sent me that book to read before it went to, to market, published. And guess what my first thought was when I saw that book? I don't have time to read that book. <laughs> I went, oops. Exactly. Right? Because so many of us go, yeah, that sounds amazing. You have no idea how busy I am. 
right? And I probably don't. I know my own busyness and my own temptation for busyness. But I know that also for me could be a perpetual excuse to keep me trapped in a way of living that stops me becoming like Jesus. And so I want to challenge you humbly with maybe I can do something about my busyness. And John Mark can help you. And then secondly, we at Vintage therefore invite you into the spiritual practices of Jesus by, in our community. Right? That's why gathering on Sunday is a core practice. It recalibrates your life. It connects you with community. It's one of the core practices of Jesus. That even when you don't feel like it, the Bible says don't forsake gathering together. It's a core practice. I say to my kids when they wake up and go, I don't want to go to church. I go, it doesn't matter. This is how we roll as a family. When you're 18, you can roll however you, you want. But this is how we roll. Because going to church is a practice, and guess what? I don't feel like exercising every day, but it's a practice I know is good for me. The second practice is belonging, getting into community, getting into a group, having friends around you, finding your people who can pray for you, encourage you, confront you, spur you on, lift you up. Community. And then everything else we do at Vintage, whether it be emotionally healthy spirituality, whether it be kingdom come, they're core practices that we go, join us as we do the things of Jesus. As we do the things of Jesus together. Friends, as we end here, Vintage, like Jesus, has an agenda for your life, which is to become like him to be free of all the things that you carry in, the brokenness that you want to get rid of. We want to help you, in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, be free, to become a disciple of Jesus, to actually model his life and love to the city around us. That's the great invitation. And the great joy is that as we journey together and do the things of Jesus together, as we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus together, we move away from just simplistic doctrine which I love, and the Holy Spirit, which I love, but they are through the vehicle of doing the things of Jesus together. This is the invitation. This is the invitation of being at Vintage. If you want to stay where you are, our heart is that you're drawn in to the transforming life of Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.